I invite you to, if you're a note taker, I mean, to, to get out something to take notes with that kind of the nature of what we're gonna be talking about today. Um, I think it's, it's, there's gonna be some stuff that uh, for a lot of you probably is, is some new things to think about. And, and I encourage you to write down questions that you have, to write down, write down thoughts that you have, that we're gonna um, have a grow class that's starting in a couple of weeks. We're really gonna be kind of giving more time to talk about what we're jumping into this morning. But, but I'm just excited to, <clears throat> to, to jump in with you today. And so um, my, my sophomore year of college, um, there was this girl that was on the freshman orientation team with me. And she really got my attention. There were several things about her. Obviously, I thought she was funny and beautiful, but the thing that really caught my attention was her, her love for the Lord, that there was just this depth to her. And so as I started to realize that I was becoming interested in this girl, there was just this one question in the back of my mind, and that question was, is she interested in me? Like, I was clearly interested in her. And so I kind of set about to just discover like, you know, does she like me? Is, are the feelings reciprocal? And so I start looking for signs. And if you've ever been in a situation like this, and so, you know, she'd be across the room and she'd smile at me and I'd be in my head. I'm like, wait, was that a sign? Like, does she smile at every dude like that or just me? And, you know, I remember one meeting, one of our, our team meetings on Tuesday night, she came down and she sat beside me. And in my head, I'm like, this is a great sign, right? That there's other seats here. And, and you know what I'm talking about? We do this, that, that we're looking for signs. And when you, and when you, and when you see the signs. It gives you confidence. It gives you joy. And I remember um, the, the, there's this moment where one of my friends is like, bro, you know that she likes you, don't you? And I'm like, I do now that you spoke this. And it's such a great sign. Thank you for, for that. And there's something about when we're looking for things, we're looking for signs. When we see them, it gives us confidence. It gives us joy. And, and so last week we kicked off our series that we're gonna be in in the fall on Sundays called The Return of Jesus. And I love, if you were with us last week, man, the way that Dave set it up, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast because he did such a magnificent job of really kind of talking about some of the barriers that we face and that we might be feeling as we talk about a conversation like the return of the Lord. And, and today what we're going to be like really leaning into is is Jesus, what he said in Matthew 24, is that there are signs that we are to be looking for, to be paying attention to, to be aware of, that we will notice that precede his return. This is gonna be a, a fun conversation and, and I'm, I'm excited to dig in, but I wanna share a couple of things that I'm just feeling. And so last week, Dave kicked us off by giving us this imagery that is actually right and very beautiful of everything in human history is moving towards something and that something is the, the wedding feast of the lamb. It's the, the moment when Jesus gets his bride, when Jesus gets the thing that he has been so patiently waiting for, which is us, his people who love him. And, and so all of human history is moving towards this moment. And, and today, the thing that we're gonna talk about is, is that Jesus wants us to be prepared because even though that's the destination along the path, there are gonna be several hard things that we need to be aware of. That it's not just all gonna be easy and joyful. I mean, it is gonna be joyful, but it's not just gonna be just this smooth ride that Jesus, out of his deep love for us, goes, hey, the marriage feast is coming, but I want you to be ready for the hard stuff that's also coming. And so today, we're gonna really lean into to looking at some of these signs. The second thing that I'm feeling this morning is I feel the, the fear of the Lord in what we're talking about. Like, I feel the weight in what, we're going to be looking at this morning. And what I mean by that is, is that, what, that there are, are lots of people that love and follow Jesus that have different interpretations and opinions of what we're going to be talking about today. And so I, I'm going to share what, what I believe, but my prayer has, has been genuinely, Lord, please don't let me be deceived and please let me don't deceive others. And so I come in feeling this real weight, this real fear of the Lord, the seriousness of what we're talking about. And yet at the same time, I, I come with such excitement and eagerness. Because the thing that we're talking about is, is the thing that, man, it has given me such confidence in Jesus. It has stirred my affection for Jesus. It, is, it has rooted me and anchored me. And so I'm so excited to, to just share. The third thing that I'm feeling is, is that I've been wrestling with this chapter of the Bible for the past three years, um, more than any other chapter in all the Bible. So it's not that it's the only chapter I've been reading for the past three years, but, but man, I have spent disproportionate amount of time studying this passage. 
And even with that, there's still so much that I don't know. So I don't come as an expert this morning that has all the answers, that has it all figured out. The fourth tension that I wanna just kind of address this morning that maybe some of you are feeling, but every time I talk to somebody about the return of the Lord, especially someone who's been in church, who's familiar with the scriptures, who's been following Jesus, this verse always comes up. And it came up with me three years ago when I first started to wrestle with this. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 says this, about the day or the hour, you do not know. No one knows, not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. And so for a long time, that was kind of the Trump verse for me, that it's kind of like the ace of spades, like, well, okay, if Jesus says we can't know the hour, we can't know the day, then man, why don't we spend any time even studying and, and talking about the return of Jesus? Like, what do we benefit from that? And, and, and I realized that, man, Jesus, while he most certainly says, hey, no one knows the hour of the day. Jesus also says things in scripture like, hey, you need to be alert. You need to be aware. You, he says things like this. When you see these things happening, you know that he is near. And so this morning we come and, 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 and we give our attention to this passage of scripture where Jesus really spent some time detailing the signs that we are to be looking for. And so we're gonna work our way through Matthew chapter 24. Um, I wanna set it up by just reading the first three verses and then we'll get into the signs. But this is the word of the Lord, Matthew 24, starting in verse one. It says that Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And so right off the bat, it's like, okay, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about the literal destruction of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. This was a place where all the Jews would, would go and, and for hundreds of years they had encountered the Lord there. They had experienced his goodness. They, this was a, a place of incredible history and transformation for them. It, it, and I can imagine that when Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, hey, do you see the temple? Do you see the city? Everything is gonna be destroyed. I can just imagine that one of the feelings that they had in their heart was sadness. Maybe it's what some of you felt in a, a way smaller degree, but when we found out the cannery was sold, where you go, man, I'm sad about that. It was this place where God met me. It's this place where I encountered his grace. It's this place of, of history and tradition. And, and I, I know that was probably there in their hearts a little bit, but, but even more than the sadness, man, for Jewish men who would have been incredibly familiar with the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, what Jesus said would have gotten their attention. What he said was incredibly significant. Let's keep reading and I'll explain what I mean by that. Verse three, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Let me ask you a question this morning. Why did they ask Jesus these questions together? Jesus says, hey, the, there's gonna be a day where the, the temple and the city is destroyed. And they don't just say, hey, when, when is that gonna happen, Jesus? They ask two other questions. What's gonna be the sign of your coming? And at the end of the age, why do they ask these questions together? And, and in the Old Testament, the destruction of the temple, the end of the age, and the return of the Lord were all connected. How do we know that? You're like, how, how can I trust you, Brandon? Where, where are you getting your information from? Well, if you were with us earlier this summer, we were working through the book of Daniel, and one of the things that we talked about is in Daniel, you need all the chapters of Daniel right in front of you to understand Daniel. And so what I mean by that, it's like there's a, 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 it's like a puzzle that if you had all the chapters together, oh, chapter two help explains chapter seven and chapter seven explains chapter nine. And when you have all the puzzle pieces in front of you, you get a really clear picture. And the same is true when you talk about the return of the Lord, that, that in the Old Testament, there are so many passages of scripture that talk about the day of the Lord or the day that the Lord is going to return. And when you put all of those passages of scripture together, it's like a puzzle. 
And you get a clear picture. And so these Jewish men had a really clear understanding that, that the temple being destroyed and that the, the, the return of the Lord and the end of the age, those things were intricately connected. And I love what Jesus does because they ask these questions. You know what Jesus does? He answers them. And this is huge because Jesus doesn't look at them and go, guys, no one knows. Don't worry about it. Just make sure you're a really kind person. He doesn't do that. And, and he doesn't also do this thing where, where he so often where he'll ask a question to their question. I love what Jesus does. They ask these questions and Jesus answers them. Growing up, I don't know about you, but I, um, in school, always appreciated teachers that prepared us for what was coming on the test. Maybe you like being surprised, but man, I, I, it didn't matter how hard the class was or, or how hard the test was. If, if my teacher prepared me for what was coming, if they told me what I needed to, 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 to be ready with, man, it gave me such confidence. And this is the heart of what Jesus is doing. As we venture into to kind of talking about the, the signs to be aware of, I want us to understand it from this place that Jesus just wants us to not be in the dark. He doesn't want us to be surprised and caught off guard. And so I love what the, this, this author, I'm gonna reference this a couple of times. It's this book called When Jesus Returns by this guy named David Pawson. And man, it is so clear don't agree with everything that he wrote in it, but there's so much that is helpful. I love the way that he breaks up the signs. And so I'm literally just using kind of his format because it's better than anything I could do by myself. And so the first sign that we're gonna get into this morning that precede Jesus returning that you and I need to pay attention to, that we should be aware of, is that there will be disasters in the world. Look with me at verse four. Jesus answered, so they asked these questions and Jesus answered them, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of war, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, all these are the beginning of birth pains. And I don't think any of us have a hard time reading this and acknowledging that these things are happening all around us. Last summer, I was studying this passage of scripture and I was reading the news about an earthquake that had happened in Afghanistan. 1,100 people died in this tragic earthquake. That same period of time, there was a severe famine and drought going on in the Horn of Africa. And then there's this war going on in Russia and Ukraine. And these were just three things that hit right in the span of a couple of weeks. And I'm going, man, these are, this is a sign that is unfolding as we speak. And I love what Jesus does because he addresses it. He says, guys, before I return, you need to be aware that there are going to be disasters that are going on in the world. And I love what Jesus does because he gives us two directives. And the first is this, he says, I don't want you to be deceived. He's gonna say it several times in Matthew 24. Don't be deceived. He says, there are gonna be many people that, that show up and say, I am the Messiah. Now, when we hear that, we're like, what in the world? We're not just gonna be fooled by some joker who just shows up and is claiming to be the Messiah, the savior of the world. Like, we're not gonna be deceived by that. But, but listen, the word Messiah is this word that, that literally just means anointed one. And it was originally used to describe someone who had been anointed by God to fulfill God's purposes. So here's what Jesus is saying, deep, deeper level. He says, prior to my return, many people, many people are gonna show up and they're gonna claim to know me and they're gonna claim to have received a message from me. They're gonna, they're gonna claim to have been sent by me. They're gonna claim to have authority and yet, their teaching and or their life will be incredibly inconsistent with what is revealed in the scriptures. What this means for us is that, and this is happening right now, that there are pastors, that there are preachers, that there are influencers, that there are authors that are rising up. I mean, and they're dynamic. Dynamic. 
I mean, they're, we're, we're drawn to them because they're, they're charismatic and they're funny. And, and, and we have to be careful because there are so many are claiming to have a message from God. You know, the, the book that they're, they're, they're writing or the, the talk that they're giving, they're claiming to have authority. And yet there is something about their message that is complete and in, in, inconsistent with what the scriptures reveal to be true. And maybe you're this morning, you're like, man, have I been deceived? <laughs> Am I being deceived? Are you deceiving me, Brandon? Like, is that what's happening right now? And, and I think sometimes when we come to this, we can just get super paranoid in our head going, well, goodness, who is deceiving me? And, and I want to just give a, a quick example. And I share this really humbly, but man, this is, this is Muhammad in Islam. This man claiming to be a prophet, claiming to have received a vision from God. And yet the vision completely contradicts what the Bible reveals to be true about Jesus. Jesus says, hey, there's gonna be many people. Don't be deceived. How do we avoid being deceived? Man, it's, it's not super complicated, honestly, by having a genuine relationship with Jesus. Not just showing up at church and, and not just reading your Bible, but actually knowing Jesus. And that's what he wants for all of you, for you to know him. How do we avoid being deceived? Well, you avoid being deceived by, by, by knowing the scriptures, by knowing what they say. And, and you can't just rely on me or Dave or Andrew or whoever else teaching or your house church leader. I mean, you've got to search it out. And we avoid being deceived by, listen to this, and this is so important, by, by letting other true followers of Jesus speak into our lives. Man, if... if Muhammad would have come out of that cave that day and said, hey, I received a vision from God. And someone would have said to him, hey, dude, that is not from the Lord. And you think about in your life how often, man, you, you hear a teaching and it's, there's partial truth in it, but, but it's, it's, if, it's not, if it's not full truth, you know, it's not truth. And so when, when your friend goes, hey, that book that you're reading or that, that person that you're following or that thing that you're getting caught up in is, is actually just leading you down a path that's inconsistent with the scripture, instead of being defensive and instead of you know, throwing up the flag and turning it on them, going, man, God, am I being deceived? This is a really big deal, guys, that in a world where the enemy masquerades himself as an angel of light, that he's going to come to deceive us in all different kinds of ways. And, and Jesus looks at us and he says, guys, don't be deceived. And I love the second thing that he says, and don't be alarmed. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but man, how many of you were alarmed? How many of us were alarmed during the pandemic? How many were anxious and worried and fearful? How many of us were like, man, I don't know what is going on in the world. How many of you were going, man, is this the end of the world? For, for many of us, we did not have a lens to view what was unfolding right in front of us. And Jesus, I love Jesus for so many reasons, but I love it because what he does is he gives us language for us to, to put on and to, to recognize. And the language that he gives us is of birth pains. When my wife was having birth pains with our children, there was so much pain but we knew the pain was leading somewhere. We knew it was leading to something wonderful. And although there were cries of pain, the deeper cry in my wife's heart and my heart were, come on, Finley, come on, Jones, come on, Merritt. We wanna see you, we wanna meet you, we wanna hold you, we wanna kiss you, we wanna take you home. And, and so Jesus, in all of his brilliance, he goes, guys, you need to be aware that leading up to my return, there are going to be disasters in the world. There's going to be wars and earthquake and famine and pestilence. And from now on, we have a filter to process and to understand and to diagnose that when we see these things happening, we go, oh, this is a birth pain. Yeah, this is a birth pain. 
And when we see the, the pain in the world, we, we don't go, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, Jesus said that was going to happen. Man, when people are losing their lives because of earthquakes and, and when people are starving in East Africa, man, it, it, we don't just go, you know what, Jesus told us it's going to happen and just go about our lives. No, we, we move towards helping them. And every time we, we see these birth pains, and the cry of our hearts is, come, Lord Jesus. We want to see you, Jesus. And you told us that, that before you come, these things are coming, and these are our birth pains, and we're tired of the birth pain. We want, we want to see you. The first sign we're to be looking for is disasters in the world. Second sign is that there will be deserters in the church. Verse 9. He says, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And Jesus is describing what life is going to be like leading up to his return. And, and what I want us to understand is that all these things are happening right now, but they're just going to continue to happen even more. We don't experience this I mean, maybe on a very small scale in America, but we did not experience persecution. Think about one of our church planning partners. In the middle of the night last year, someone sneaks onto his property and literally sets his car on fire. Christians are being persecuted. Jesus says that, that the love of many will grow cold or the love of most will grow cold. And I go, man, how many of you, you, you think about someone in your life, maybe it's a family member or a friend, or maybe even, maybe even it's you yourself. And you go, man, I used to burn for the Lord. My heart was just for him. You couldn't stop me. I was dreaming about, about him and how to, to live for him. And, and you look at your life now and you're like, man, I'm a shell of who I was. How many of us, our love has grown cold. The, the fire for God has gone out. He, Jesus says that, that, that there's be persecution. He says that love of cold, the love of, of many there is going to grow cold. And he says that the gospel is going to go to all nations. And that word nations is not talking about nations like the way that we think about them. It's, it's people groups. And what's so incredible is that, that right now, as we speak, there are global collaborative efforts underway to identify and form a strategy for getting the gospel to every people group in the world. A couple of takeaways here. Man, don't let your love for Jesus grow cold. And if you come here this morning and, and that's exactly the case, I, my encouragement is to, to do something about it. And if you're married and, and you're going through a, a, a your, your marriage is not in a great place and, and your heart's not locked in and your love's kind of cold and you're just kind of bitter and resentful, like the solution isn't just to, to ignore it and it's not just to keep going. Man, the, 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 the solution is to press in and to do something about it to buy your wife flowers and to take her on a date and to engage her heart again and to, to, to listen and to respond and to, to put yourself in a place to change the situation. The same is true with Jesus. If your love is cold for Jesus, it's okay. It's not okay if that's the, the place that, if you stay there forever, but if you're starting there now, do something about it. Come to the prayer, to the respond banner at the end of our time together. Let someone pray for you as we take communion here in a little bit. Man, share that. My love has grown cold. Let people pray for you. Come to prayer gathering tonight. Get in a house church. Another takeaway, man, if Jesus says that the gospel going to every nation is a prerequisite for Jesus to return, may we do everything we can to get the gospel to every nation. And I'll be the first to admit, there are, are, 
are so many times in my life where I'm just super content with the way things are right now. I mean, when you are healthy and, and you're happy and work is good and marriage is good and relationships are good, it is easy to be content with Jesus being in heaven and me being on earth. But may the Lord wake us up. I'm just telling you, I have two daughters. And if some dude shows up at my house one day and, and he asks to, to marry one of my daughters, and that dude will be very lucky because my daughters are awesome. If, if he asks me, hey, I wanna, I wanna marry your daughter and my plan is just to, to be engaged. I don't really wanna marry her. I just wanna be engaged for her. I'm gonna be like, peace out, dude. Don't come back ever. Like, <laughs> and it's interesting though because I think so often when we're in this comfortable and content and happy place, we are, are fine with things as they are. And this is a prayer. This is a, a literal prayer to Jesus. Jesus, may we long to see you. May it not be enough for us to, to just pray and to go to church. May we long to put our fingers in the hand where you took the nails for us. Like may the Lord just stir a desire. When, when's the last time that, that you thought about the feet of Jesus, like his actual physical feet where, where the nails were driven for your sin? May we long to put our fingers in the, in the hands where the nails were driven. May we long to see his face. What does his face look like? Man, may we long to, to hug his neck, to feel his embrace. What does Jesus smell like? May we long to hear his laugh. What, is he, what does his laugh sound like? What does his voice sound like? Is it deep? Is it raspy? May we long to, to see the way Jesus interacts with the Father. How amazing must that be? I oh, mean, may, may the Lord stir up a longing in us for, for that Jesus. That we're, we're more excited that we anticipate seeing his face and being in his presence more than we do our honeymoon, more than we do raising kids, more than we do retirement. May, may the burning desire of our life be to see Jesus. And I'm just telling you, a lot of days I'm not there. So this isn't like, hey guys, I'm here. You need to get on board and get there. It's like, Jesus, help us to see you for who you are. And we're not content with this prolonged engagement. We want to be with him. Wake us up, Lord Jesus. Jesus said preceding his return, there are gonna be disasters in the world, deserters in the church. The third thing I want us to look at this morning, he says that there will be a dictator in the Middle East. Before you check out, let's jump into the text. Hang with me. Verse 15, he says, so... When you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you ahead of time. Thank you, Jesus. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. And immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Super easy to understand, amen. 
So Jesus starts out in verse 15. He, he talks about the abomination that causes desolation. If I'm being honest, I read this growing up and I'd get to this part and I'm like, don't know what that means. Let's go to Matthew 26, right? Like something a little bit easier to understand. I'm just being honest. And, and what is so important is that Jesus is, remember the disciples ask a question, hey, when's the temple gonna be destroyed? And what's gonna be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus says, hey, these are some signs. There's gonna be disasters, there's gonna be deserters. And then he says, and there's gonna be this abomination that causes desolation. And so the natural question, if you've not studied this, is what in the world is that? And I love what Jesus does. He says, go and read Daniel. You see that phrase, the abomination that causes desolation. We discovered that as we were teaching through the book of Daniel earlier this summer. And this is where that phrase originates from. So let's look at what Daniel reveals to us about the abomination that causes desolation. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26 and 27. It says that, that the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. One more verse, Daniel 11, verse 31 and 32. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. So you're like, Brandon, thank you for reading those confusing verses and clearing that up for us about what that is. You're welcome. David Pawson has a really great quote. And this is what he says. He says, a careful study reveals that Daniel was referring to a human conqueror who in the very city where God had been honored, which was Jerusalem, this man would utter blasphemous words and commit obscene deeds, provoking great mental and physical stress among God's people. Here's another way to say it. This is maybe a more condensed, less sophisticated way, is that a world leader who will stop the daily Jewish temple sacrifice in Jerusalem, destroy the temple and the city of Jerusalem through a military campaign and actively work to destroy Jews and Christians. Now here's what I wanna share, that, that many dear brothers and sisters who love and follow Jesus believe that this has already happened. So in the year 70 AD, 30-ish years after Jesus, the temple and the city of Jerusalem were destroyed. That, that the temple sacrifice was stopped and that the abomination, this abominable act of destroying the temple, it led to a period of, of desolation. And what that desolation was, was the driving out of Christians and the Jewish people and where there was persecution, where they were targeted. And so many people who love and, and fear Jesus look at this moment and they go, oh, that, actually, that already happened. The abomination that caused desolation happened in the year 70 AD. I believe that, that this hasn't happened yet. I personally believe that this is still something that is yet to come. Now, I absolutely believe that in 70 AD that, that Rome came in and in partnership with many other um, allied people, they destroyed the temple and they destroyed the, the city of Jerusalem. And, and I believe that. I'm not saying that didn't happen in history. What I'm saying is that I believe that the abomination that causes desolation that Jesus is talking about is still to come. And the reason that I, I believe that is, is for a couple of reasons. Number one is because of what Jesus says in verse 21. He says, when, when the abomination of desolation happens, he says, it's going to be a time of unequal distress. Or maybe your, your Bible says great tribulation. And when you study that phrase, again, for, for people who had a thorough understanding of the, of the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, Man, they, they would have known that, that, that that is referenced many times in the Old Testament. Um, Jeremiah chapter 30 and 31. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 30. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And when you, when you discover, just like a puzzle, when you put all of those pieces together, what you discover is that in the, the end of the Great Tribulation, 
the Old Testament says that several things will happen at the end of the great tribulation. And those things have not happened yet. Those passages of scripture declare that at the end of the great tribulation, the time of unequal distress, that there's gonna be the resurrection of the dead. That, that Jewish people are, are going to repent and receive Jesus as Messiah. And we don't have time to, to dig into all of those Old Testament passages today. But one of the reasons I really believe this hasn't happened yet is because we've not gone through a, a period of time of unequal distress that led to the resurrection of the dead. That led to the, the Jewish people returning and receiving Jesus as Messiah. And, and connected to this, the other big reason why I don't believe that this has happened is because the great tribulation, you know, so some go, well, the great tribulation has been happening ever since 70 AD, ever since this happened. And the reason that I don't believe that is because um, there's a time component connected to the great tribulation. Here's what I mean. Daniel chapter seven. This is what... Daniel says, he says that, that he will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people, Jewish people, Christians. This man will try to change the set times and the laws and the holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. One more verse, Daniel chapter 12, verse seven. The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and I heard him Swear by him who lives forever, saying, it will be for a time, times, and half a time when the power of the holy people has been finally broken. All these things will be completed. And so you hear that time, times, and half a time. You're like, what in the world does that mean? Well, it means three and a half years. You're like, where do you get that, Brandon? Time is one year. Times is two years. Half a times is half a year. You add those together and it's three and a half years. And, and so I'm just putting my cards on the table. Some God-fearing, Jesus-following believers view that three and a half years, this time, times, and half a time to be figurative. Just kind of representing a set amount of time. I personally read that literally. And I do that because of the, the cohesiveness of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so here's what I mean. In Revelation chapter 11, verse two, it says this. It says, they will trample on the holy city for 42 months. How many months is 42 months in the, in the Jewish way of thinking? Do you know? Three and a half years. Revelation chapter 12, verse six, another verse. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. You know how many um, years that is? Three and a half years. Revelation 13, verse five. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and exercise its authority for 42 months. And so I know this is a lot. This is probably new for, for a lot of you. And, and I wanna just encourage you to, to really study this and to pray and, 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 and to join our, our, our house church, or not our house church, our grow class that we're gonna be kicking off in a couple weeks where you can come and we're gonna deep dive into this and we'll have a lot more time to, to ask questions and wrestle it through. But let me summarize what I believe Jesus is saying about this dictator who will rise, who will do this abominable act that will lead to the desolation of, of the Jewish people and to Christians. I believe that what Jesus is saying is that preceding his return, a dictator is going to, to set out to destroy Jews and Christians. It's gonna begin in Jerusalem, and for three and a half years, it will be the hardest persecution distress that this world has ever seen. And before you're tempted to just dismiss me as this guy is a just complete lunatic, I encourage you to really put it before the Lord in prayer and to study. What I'm not doing is going, hey guys, Jesus is coming back. December 13th, 2027. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is that Jesus gives us some, some really specific and clear a puzzle that if we will put it together, we see the picture. A couple of takeaways as we, as we wrestle with, okay, Brandon, if, if that is true, if there is going to be a dictator that 
comes to the Middle East and, and, and he's going to persecute Jewish people and the Christians. I mean, doesn't it make a lot of sense? Like, listen to, to verse 16. It says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back and get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. Why does Jesus say this? Because he's saying there's going to be incredible persecution in the Jewish people in Jerusalem, and he's literally giving them warning. Get out of town. Do not stay in the city and die. Get out. Pray that it doesn't take on Sabbath. Why does Jesus say that? We don't practice Sabbath very well, specifically, or, or especially considering the way that Jewish people practice Sabbath. But Lucas was just in um, the Middle East. He was in Jerusalem earlier this summer. And he said, it's wild what happens on Friday night. You know what happens on Friday night in Jerusalem? <laughs> Sabbath begins and the city shuts down. And so Jesus is sitting Pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath. He says, when this happens, when this dictator starts to, to persecute, he says, get out. How dreadful it's gonna be for nursing moms. Why does he say that? Because, man, nursing a child, I've never done it. But it's incredibly, like, it's, it's intense and it's, and it's hard and it's, your schedule is just completely revolving around this baby that you're taking care of. And I love what Jesus, he's pointing to us. If we will just wrestle with this on a deep heart level. So what's a takeaway for us? Well, I think a, a clear takeaway is, is for us, and this might feel like a stretch for some of you, but I think what Jesus is inviting us to do is to, to pay attention to what's going on in the Middle East, specifically in Jerusalem with the Jewish people. And I'm not suggesting that we need to become obsessed with it and not always be guessing, well, is this country, is that the dictator? Like, you'll be annoying, and we'll ask you to quit coming back to church if you do that. Just, just kidding. But you will be annoying, and uh, so don't do it. Don't, we're not going to speculate. But we are called to, to be aware, and I think this means just, man, paying attention to what's going on in the Middle East. And to be calm and to be steady, I think the second kind of takeaway for us is, man, if, if, if this is true, if, if what I'm suggesting is true, that this dictator is still to rise, I think that the downside to, to believing this, a reason that a lot of people who believe that the abomination of desolation has already happened is, well, people who live uh, believing that this sign's already been fulfilled really go, hey, Jesus could come back at any time. And that raises your alertness. That makes you more aware. It doesn't allow you to, to just sit back and be comfortable. And, and the, the, side, the shadow side to what I'm suggesting is, man, if, if you believe, if, like I'm suggesting that Jesus is not going to return until a dictator comes, then, then the temptation, I think, for a lot of us is just to kind of kick back and go, well, okay. We really have to be all in. Do we have to be living sacrificially? And, and we're gonna get into this the, the next few weeks, but Jesus has some most severe words for people <laughs> who are lazy, who check out, who aren't alert, who aren't aware, who aren't paying attention. And so Jesus looks at us and and he says, I want you to be aware that disasters are coming, deserters are coming, that a dictator is coming. And then the final sign is that there will be darkness in the sky. I love, I love this in verse 27. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Look at verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, immediately after the dictator, his, the three and a half years, immediately the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. You all remember when the, the eclipse happened in 2017? In the middle of the day, everything went dark. The last sign before Jesus returning is that the world will go dark. 
You know the moment when, when, when you're at the movies or when you're at a, a play and, and the lights are on and everybody's talking and then the lights get switched off and the excitement goes up? Because you know the play's about to start, you know the things are about to, to happen and, and that will be the feeling in the heart for believers. And when the sky and the, and the world goes dark, after all these things have happened, it will be the most glorious moment for followers of Jesus. As we see the one that we, we, we were obedient to, that we laid down our life for, that we, 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 get, we laid down our lives into death for him, that we sacrifice for, and it will be worth it. And I want you to understand, I was talking to our student pastor and he was uh, Hudson and he was talking about how many of the students, I'm going, uh, how many of the, when I was a student, was I wrestling with this stuff? Absolutely not. Like, so I love what God's even doing with our students, but he was talking about how many of our students, they're like, they're fearful. Like, man, are we going to miss this? Like, is, is Jesus going to appear and we're not going to know about it? And, and I love it because this is not going to be something that you're going to hear through the grapevine. Hey, Jesus came back. Oh, really? We're going to know it. As lightning is visible in the east as it is to the west, it, it'll be a moment that we see together. That there are lots of, of groups and, and people who have claimed that Jesus has already come back and that, that he appeared in a secret place and in a secret room. And I go, that's not what the scripture says about his return. It's loud. There's going to be a trumpet call. There's going to be angels. It's going to go dark. It's going to be this glorious moment when we get to be with the one who laid down his life, who left the comfort of heaven for us, Jesus of Nazareth, the savior, the hope of the world. What do we do with this? You know, this, the whole purpose of this series, for us to be informed most certainly, I mean, but it's really meant to stir our hearts for Jesus. Man, that, that, that we wouldn't just spend this life thinking about our fall wardrobe and thinking about our bank account and trying to make a name for ourselves, but that, that our lives would be about knowing Jesus and, and figuring out the, the specific assignments that Jesus has for each of us. that we would know him, that we would love him, that we would live for him. We're talking about this because all of human history is moving towards this moment. And if, if we are not ready, if we're not thinking about it and talking about it, man, we're gonna get caught off guard and we'll come to a moment where we realize that we wasted our lives on lesser things and Jesus doesn't want us to waste our lives. Here in just a minute, we're gonna take communion, do this every week, man. It's a body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus that reminds us that we are brought into the family of God only because of Jesus. And as we take communion, I want to really encourage you to, to circle up your chairs with the people around you. And I want you just to be really honest. Some of you this morning, your, your love has grown cold. And I just encourage you to share that. And my love's cold for God. My love is cold for people. And just pray for each other. I guarantee that is a prayer that God wants to answer. You want to pray a prayer that God's going to say yes to? That's it. Some of you have... You hear all this and you're scared to death. You're like, man, you're telling me that I'm going to be persecuted and there's going to be a dictator and that life is, and some of us is instantly going to fear mode. And I want to just encourage us. The witness that you see in scripture, Stephen in the book of Acts, when he was being killed because of his faith, when he was being hunted down because of his love for Jesus, he was rejoicing. And it doesn't make any sense, but you read about martyrs, the voice of the martyrs, this incredible organization, and their, their last death, experiencing huge persecution, and they're smiling, and they're singing, and they're, we have nothing to be worried about. The same God who is with you now is going to walk you through any hard thing that comes our way. Make up your mind not to be fearful. 
He's going to come through. He's going to help you. doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, but he will be with you in the fire. Some of you this morning, you feel shame because your heart cry isn't, come Lord Jesus. And be honest, I spent a lot of my time there. The heart cry of so often in my life is, wait, Lord Jesus, I still have stuff on this earth I want to do. And he knows that. You're not, you're not fooling him. And so as we take communion and say, Jesus, would you help the burning desire of my life, the greatest desire to be to see you? Again, another prayer he will answer. Some of you, you're completely overwhelmed by all of this. And I want to just alleviate the pressure that you might be feeling to, to hear a sermon and then to have to figure out what you believe this afternoon. <laughs> you know, if you're like me, I hear something new and I can just obsess about it. I'm like, hey, Court, I'm gonna spend the next 30 days just reading 100 books, listening to every podcast because I gotta figure out what I believe. Don't do that. Man, pray, most certainly. It's a great book to read. There's a, an app that I love. It's called Frontier Alliance International. You can find it, or yeah, Frontier Alliance International. It's an incredible organization. They walk through Matthew 24. They walk through all of these prophetic texts just verse by verse in really wonderful ways. Those are some good next steps, but I really encourage you, man. I wouldn't, if you have questions, if you're sitting here processing this and you're like, I don't know, join our grow class, please. Give us space to have questions and to have, or to ask questions and to have conversation and to deep dive in, into this. And so don't just tune me out and go, man, this dude is a nut. Maybe I am a nut, but I encourage you, man. I think this stuff is too important. And so continue to put it before the Lord. And then I, I wanna end this way. Some of you have, have really studied Matthew 24 and you've landed in a different place than I have. And my, my commitment to you is... Like, I am not gonna let my interpretation about this be something that divides us. And let's not let this be something that divides us. You know, there's too many things that divide Christians as it is. And yeah, I believe this, and, and I think it's super important, and I think that, especially leading up to the time of Jesus' return, that, man, that th these things are gonna be clear, but I could be wrong, right? And may our desire to be united around Jesus returning, our desire for him to return and to make this world right, may the, the unity be the thing that stands out instead of us being divided around the details. And all week, I've just felt that, unity. I felt the Lord just going, unity, unity, unity. So I wanna invite us to stand. I'm gonna pray for us. When I get done praying, we can go take communion. There'll be some of us that respond, man, and we'd love to pray and talk with you. Thank you guys for hanging with me this morning. And so, Lord, thank you so much for just this text and these verses and, God, what you're doing. And I just pray, God, for, for you to help us just to walk with you through all this. And I pray that, that in our minds that you will help us, God, but also even more than our minds, I pray you would touch our hearts. And, Jesus, that you would just give us a fresh fire for you, a fresh love for you. And that God may, may unity, may we be one and love each other and honor one another and yeah, lift each other up. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you to go get communion and come back to your seats. There'll be a couple of us at the Respond Band. We'd love to pray. You want prayer?